Welcome to another episode of Run to the Hills. I'm Chris Bland and this is Tim Taylor. Pleased to see you all listening and I uh, hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Brilliant. Again, in a bit of a problem with this podcast. So the format that we set out was before coronavirus shut all of us runners down. So running news has been a little bit sparse this week. Tim, anything that you've noticed? Well, I've noticed that I've been for a run every day. That's my running news. So I'm quite pleased with myself about that. And uh, also, I know you're going to out, outdo me on this, but a guy in Sidcup has run a marathon in his back garden. Um, he's also entered like the, the marathon disable and a load of other stuff. And I thought that was pretty good. But uh, uh, Dickie Bird tells me you're going to beat that. This is true, but I'm curious. Does it say how long his garden is? It didn't hold on hold on each lap was 50 meters and he was 873 meat laps around his garden i'm obviously now going to get my calculator out because i think that math is probably slightly dodgy but uh don't let me hold you up chris well tim does the maths on this i have one that i am very excited about so mark cockbane of cockbane event he's now set up the cockbane events isolation ultra cooler king slash queen Basically, you've got to run in your garden as far as you can, can non-stop, maximum loop, 100 meters, which wow. is cool. But one guy, Carl Baxter, has run 70. Um, let me find it. Let me find it. I think he's run 60.2 miles. In his back garden. Which is insane. In his back garden. I think it's, I think it's the same. I think it's about 50 meters. And uh, did you? Are you allowed to have a, a massive back garden? I mean, like you know, could like the count, the count of Monte Cristo, like with the acres and acres of back garden, do it? No, but when the count of Monte Cristo is in prison, he would have been fine for this. It has to be maximum of a hundred meters. Okay, got it, got it. Okay, well, good luck. Any anyone else who wants to give that a go? Yeah, recommend. Um, if you want to join in on that, just go to the Cockbane Events brackets, the hard stuff on Facebook. And this week, Chris, have you been, do we have an interview this week? Who have you been talking to? So fortunately, while we might be a little bit sparse on news, we have a lot of people to interview as everyone's at home and fancy free. This week, it is Ben Turner, um, an adventure racer, adventure athlete, all that sort of good stuff. Um, He's cycled the whole perimeter of Iceland. He's rope climbed the Three Peaks. Um, and what we're talking to him about today is he's going at the moment. His training is for the fastest known time of the Cape Wrath Trail. Wow, that's a long way and rough ground. Rough ground, long way, and he's hoping to do it in 60 hours. Oh, blimey, he's put a time out as well. That's brave, brave guy to put the time out before you undertake the event, if you know what I mean. It's bold, it's bold. Right, without further ado then... Um, spent seven years in the army doing various bits and pieces, um, deployed a couple of times and did some bits um, with them. And while training for various courses while I was there, I pretty much found a bit of a, a bit of a love for just doing fairly hard masochistic endurance things. Um, some of my sort of favorite memories are traipsing around the Brecon beacons on my own with a really heavy pack on. And I've got this like one image in my head where I'm going up to the top of this certain hill and the sun setting over the um, over the hills, <clears throat> over the rest of the Black Mountain. And I just sat, I took my pack off. I did a fairly long day. I was just sweaty and, 
you know, you just feel like you've worked and it feels pretty good. Sat on my burger and just thought, yeah, this is this is pretty good. Um, and found that I just really in lo- I really loved that feeling. So I just felt I, I think I'm just finding more and more things that I can find that feeling in. I've got yeah. And then I just I found other ways of doing that. So in part of my training, I would do ultra marathons with my rucksack on. Um, not necessarily, you know, not to compete or anything, but just because a it's a bit of accountability. B you know, someone's going to be there at the end and it's going to be an official time and distance, which is pretty cool. Um, and then it became a bit of a novelty for the company. So I did six of them, um, uh, sorry, five of them. And then um, and then thought that was fun. So went on to the Glencoe Sky Race, um, ended up leaving the army in the end, doing a couple of other projects, um, ran 16 marathons in 16 days in 16 national parks around the UK, um, and then cycled around Iceland, um, did the Three Peaks rope climb, and now training for Cape Wrath. So talk to us about that. You're going for the fastest known time. I've got a li- I've got a big long list on my phone of, of of fun ideas that I just have that pop into my head. Um, and I saw the I saw the Cape Wrath Trail. I've, I've known for it. I've known about it for a while. Um, um, Red Bull put it out there as you know the UK's toughest trail, and you know put yourself against the um, the Cape Wrath Trail. And I thought oh, that's fun. You know it's on the doorstep. I've done a lot of bits of it. I know the majority of the trail. I started looking into it. And I thought, ah, oh, you know, maybe I could run it, you know, and see see how long that takes. But I don't want to enter the ultra marathon because, well, I don't want to pay fifteen hundred quid, and I don't really want to do it over eight days. Let's see if I can maybe do it solo, maybe do it non, you know, camping or something. And then eventually, the idea grew into. I saw Damien Hall and Beth Pascal's attempt for the fastest known time. They set it up four days, nine hours, 43 minutes. Um, and I thought, oh, that's fun. Maybe I could beat that. Um, and then just sort of wet finger in the air, estimating of a time. I thought 60 hours sounds fun. They basically, it's a slightly different record. They did it with all their kit on their back. They had a few like kit drops that they had dropped um, along the way so that they could get there and resupply their food um, along the trail. So they didn't have like a car waiting for them or anything, but um, it would be the two of them sleeping in bothies along the way, picking up kit where they've had kit drops and then get to Kit Wrath. So basically makes it an unsupported fastest known time, which they set. And then I thought, well, if I can get a car to meet me at all of the route intersections where it, where it gets crosses roads and stuff um, that can supply nutrition um, and a little bit of shelter as and when required, I still carry all the kit that I need, but I don't need to carry that much food. Know, maybe eight hours max um and then it also acts as you know emergency coordination because it'll only be me doing it and i thought maybe then i could do it actually in 60 hours kind of it's it's i've dubbed it as supported it'll be the only supported fastest known time but it'll also take the unsupported fastest known time and maybe cut a bit of time off that as well so that's where the idea was born and it, it seems to me to be pretty much the perfect personally the perfect adventure that i've been looking for for those out there that might not be aware uh, could you give us a little background on the cape wrath trail itself so the cape wrath trail is 230 miles stretches from fort william to cape wrath in the northwest highlands of scotland um, basically fort william's about halfway up um the highlands on the west coast on the mainland and then you go you snake up through the hills through noidart which is the most remote part of the uk um, through the Sutherlands, which are some of the most incredible mountains you've ever seen, um, all the way to the northwest tip of the mainland, which is Cape Wrath. And basically Cape Wrath there, you've got a lighthouse and a naval bombing range. 
Um, and I've been there as a kid, and I seem I a very a very sort of vivid memory I have as a kid is laying on top of these cliffs, looking down, and you've got like hundred foot waves crashing into these cliffs, and you know you're looking down on gannets diving, and you know it's a really really amazing place. It's not waymarked. It's got no signposts. Twenty percent of it is devoid of trail altogether. The rest of it, you know, it's on. I think there's a very small percentage, maybe ten percent on road. Um, there's a percentage on sort of four by four track, but then the rest of it is just in proper wildland. So it's it's very very remote, um, but it's just incredible scenery. And how do you go about training for something like that? I imagine you're obviously comfortable carrying a pack on your back, but what sort of, have you got an idea of the weight you're going to be carrying? You've got a film crew coming with you. Is that extra pressure? Is that a bit of relief? What do you feel? Um, personally, in my mind, I, I feel great. I, you know, I, I feel like I could go off tomorrow and just crack on. Um, you're absolutely right. The film crew, and I'll, I'll address that one first, does add an added pressure. Um, it's more that it adds an added stress, actually. It's more that it's, it's more logistics to to to, yeah. to organize, and that is by far the hardest part. The training is relatively straightforward. The first thing in anything, doing anything like this, is you need to get strong. And this is something I've learned years and years and years ago in, in training for a lot of things, is you've got to be able to lift some heavy things, big compound, multi-joint movements, because ultimately, if you if you train long and slow forever, you're only going to perform long and slow for a certain amount of time. If you have zero strength that you've adapted and muscle mass and functional strength, then your body's not going to be able to take you past that level of fatigue. So the easiest way I find to do, to describe it is, you know, when they describe a marathon and they say, you'll get to marathon 80, you'll get to mile 18, sorry. And you know, you'll hit the wall, right? In quotation marks. That getting to the point of hitting the wall, that is what your aerobic capacity is. That's what your body can do at a given pace and just crack on and do. After 18 miles, after you've hit the wall, what's going to get you through is A, what's going on in your head, and B, how your body's actually put together. You need to get strong to be able to progress past that point. It's literally the body being able to hold itself up. If you don't strength train, you're going to significantly put a weakness into your into your training you know there are some people who will say oh all you need to do is run to train for running and it's like well that's actually not necessarily true strength is injury prevention strength is endurance and strength is the ability to keep going so that was the main thing to start off with and still continued through the entire training block over the last six months so basically just lifting heavy things not for hypertrophy so i'm not i'm not building size but you're going in a rep range and a set range and a and various movements that are going to generate strength and then onward to power um, for running economy and movement economy. Um, and then maybe a, a long run every week. Um, each training block might culminate in something that's similar to Cape Breath. So something like doing a Ramsey round, which is around the, uh, the mountains up here, or running up Ben Nevis, or finding really, really long and remote trails and going from point A to point B so that I can I can sort of go through the motions of what a resupply would look like, you know, how I would approach the car, what's the first thing I need to eat, what's the first thing I need to drink. You've set 60 hours as your goal time. How are you preparing with, to deal with the fatigue that you'll be feeling, sort of especially that mental point going through, what, three separate nights? 
There are a couple of the longer training sessions and the West Highland Way would have been the same in approach. Um, obviously with, with current delays, I'll be just doing this later on, but some of the longer training runs that are, you know, eight, nine, 10, 12 plus hours, then a lot of them just start at midnight. Um, I was planning on starting the trail at midnight anyway. Um, and when it comes to the, the dead hours, so everyone will have a point in the night where they find it very difficult to operate. Um, I know for me that that's somewhere around the, the four, three, four, five o'clock mark if I've been going at it all night. Um, and then you just plan it, you plan a tactical in quotation marks sleep. Um, having done lots and lots of sleep deprivation in the army and various bits and pieces, one of the, um, one of the best bits of advice I think that I gained, which was somebody from who used to take people through special forces selection was don't bother training for sleep deprivation. You, you can't train for it. Uh, what you can do is familiarize yourself with it. So, you know, maybe start getting up early, running early in the morning, um, doing long runs, staged planned runs that are from midnight, for example. But if you are chronically going through very early mornings or very late nights or off kilter training sessions, then you're actually going to end up doing more harm than good. You know, the more you impact your circadian rhythms or your, your sleep patterns, the more you impact your recovery, the more you impact your actual training for performance, then the more damage you're going to do in the long term. Ultimately, sleep deprivation sucks and you'll just, you will just have to find a way through it. And the best way to do that is long mileage because that's going to build something up in the mind in fairly poor weather because that's horrendous and again mental fortitude and then when it comes to the night and it comes to you know game day then you just crack on and do it anyway i was planning on sleeping for maybe two shifts of two to two and a half hours probably two hours um to make the time and that that's that's it really over the 60 hours and that would have been specifically timed a, in line with more dangerous parts of the route. I don't want to be sleep deprived on those bits. And B, in those sort of dead hours in the night. Ultimately, I was just kind of thinking I want to see more of the, you know, the most of the scenery. So I don't want to be running all the way through um, the dark hours and then have to sleep in the light hours because then I'm, you know, I'm wasting the scenery. So ultimately, you can't really train for um, sleep deprivation. So I was doing more sort of very early morning runs but then I'd sleep for ages after too. We're calling it lightning round questions. I'm going to ask you them relatively quickly. You can answer them as slowly or as fast as you want. First off, how many pairs of trainers do you own? I have just updated mine, so I probably have about 13. You're our current winner <laughs> on the most amount of trainers. Okay, and what's the longest you've gone without washing any of your kit? 21 days. Good answer, good answer. Where was that? Uh, uh, define, define washing. I'm going to say washing machine. Uh, oh, right. Well, I mean, I was deployed in Afghanistan without a washing machine for nine months. Um, yeah, but that'll do it. Without washing anything, as in not even washing them in the shower, um, yeah, about 21 days. That was in Iceland. 
It's a long time. Um, what's also the, I think you're the winner there as well for the longest going without watching. Uh, let's see if you can make I don't it know if that's a good thing or not. <laughs> it's definitely a good thing. Let's see if you can keep this streak up. What's the strangest thing you've seen on a run? I'll allow you to extend it to cycle as well, seen as. Oh man, the strangest thing. A museum of human mutilation and witchcraft. There you go. Elaborate. Uh, so I was in Iceland. This was cycling. So trail running. I haven't really seen many strange things. I don't think I've seen a naked person, but that's not that's not really strange. And it wasn't me yeah. for the record. Um, but yeah, I was in Iceland and I was cycling around uh, coming just coming off the back end of the West Fjords, which is like the, the big sort of fingery bit that comes out the northwest corner. And it was it had been a really long day, so I pulled into this town. I thought I'll just stay here for the night. So there was a campsite, there's some re resupply. I was it was long overdue, um, and I pulled into this cafe. I was absolutely hooped. So it was really nice to pull into this nice place and have some amazing food. And then it was a museum, and you know I was learning a little bit of Icelandic. I didn't know everything. Um, it looked like a fun historical um, museum. There's a lot of lot of crazy history going on in Iceland, um, and there's a lot of mythology, which is really really fun. Um, I thought, oh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll pay the, whatever it was, £10 equivalent um, to go and have a look around this museum. And um, yeah, it turned out to be a museum of like pagan witchcraft of that particular area of Iceland, because apparently that's like pagan centre of Iceland. And then it would go on about how it would like do like human mutilation. And, you know, there was like a museum of penises and all sorts. It was it was very strange. Oddly, I got a quick pictures second... of the book actually. There sorry, was a book of there was sorry, I was gonna say there was like a book of book of penises from from years of old. I got pictures of the book, I'm pretty sure I've still got them. Don't ask me why I've kept them. Really, I just want to caveat books. that with like that's not a thing. I feel like you definitely if you find that you need to keep it. So um yeah. next question. What's the sketchiest place you've been for a run? Although and again can extend to cycle, although it sounds possibly like that museum. Oh, uh, sketchiest place, I would say. Terrain-wise, um, so I've got two Anything. answers. First one, ter terrain-wise would be the Kulin mountain range in, on the Isle of Skye. Um, so I ran a traverse of the of the range, which was fun, and that was fairly pokey in places. Um, a couple of other, like, ridges and, you know, fairly, fairly gnarly terrain, which wasn't too bad. Um, in terms of weird that I did a I did a marathon in Afghanistan around my compound so we we're in a fairly small compound and uh, uh, unfortunately there was a uh, there was a loss of 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 one of our of one of our folk out there um, from a previous tour and he was he had like a named foundation and the foundation was there to you know to bring money and support to you know wives and children and families and people who were left left behind at home and uh, we did a we did a marathon. Um, I called it the something marathon. I can't remember what it was now. I'm pretty sure I've still got the t-shirt from it. But anyway, we 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 just did a we just did a marathon. It was in our own time. Uh, we just recorded it. You know, obviously it wasn't on Strava or anything like that. But we just we ended up having an agreed start point, an agreed finish point, an agreed method of ticking off laps, and it ended up being laps of this you know football pitch sized compound. So that was probably the the funkiest place. 
Definitely sounds funky. And then what's the most interesting prize you've seen at a race? Doesn't necessarily have to be one you've won, but anything that stands out. Oh, the interesting prize. I, I guess, uh, I mean, I know it's fairly commonplace, but um, I like the idea of as soon as you finish some of the um, cycle sportifs and to, I think to extent some of the um, more American trail running, then you get a pint of beer at the end. You, know, you can't, yeah. you can't go wrong with that. Uh, that's pretty cool. Next one, we've got road or trail. Oh, trail. Hot or cold? Mm, cold, easy to deal with. Interesting. So sun or rain? Oh, sun all day long. Yep, good to hear it. And then favourite music to run to? I think it depends where I'm running. Uh, at the moment, I've been listening to, there's a, there's a local band up here in the Highlands called Nightworks. And it's a bit like, if you imagine a Cayley band and Pendulum, the drum and bass band, if you like smash them together, then you have Nightworks. And it's actually pretty good. It's a good bass and a good, a good beat to run to. I quite like it. Okay, thank you, Ben Turner. Guys, thank you for listening to the second episode of Run to the Hills. We'll be back next week. If you want to follow us anywhere, we'll be on at Cheer Charge on pretty much everything. That's Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Thank you, and see you next week.